0: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this chance to be here at ASI, to spend some concentrated time with you, focusing on what you're doing in the world. And we thank you just now that we can spend part of our Friday afternoon thinking about our jobs as parents, the awesome task that you've given us. And we pray that you will go with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first aid parenting. Uh, this... Seminar is based on a little booklet that we prepared for It Is Written a few years ago, based on some Mother's Day and Father's Day programs that we had uh, created for It Is Written. And this little booklet, the idea behind it was to take some short pieces of information just to help busy parents uh, make their way through every day. Now, do you ever feel like parenting is just about surviving from one emergency to the next? I know so often it feels that way. It feels like when the kids are little, you go from spilled juice to someone's having a temper tantrum and someone else stole someone's toy, and you're constantly going from one of those emergencies to the next. And when they get older, the emergencies seem to be, uh, mom, I have to be here at this time and I have to be there at that time. And one kid has to practice music because they have homework and the other kid has to be at basketball. And it's just our lives are busy. Parents' lives are very busy, and it's sometimes we can feel like it's just going from one state of emergency, emergency to the next. Now, of course, our kids are treasured gifts from God. They absolutely are. And being a parent is an awesome privilege and awesome responsibility. And we want to do what's best. We want to do what's right for our children. And it doesn't mean, though, that parenting is always easy. It definitely comes with its challenges and with the blessings. So... In some ways, parenting has been the same for every generation, hasn't it? Every parent loves their child. They nurture, they care for their children, they provide you know, the basics, food, clothing, shelter. And there are things that every generation wants to pass on to the next generation. Certainly, we want to pass on our values, our morals, our Christian faith, our belief system. Maybe even we want to pass on some professional knowledge, a skill, a trade. So, those things have been the same for every generation of parents, I think, that's ever been. But our generation, our kids now, we definitely have some new challenges. These kids now that are growing up are the first that can sit and look at this in their hand, no matter where they are, and they can watch YouTube. (laughs) And mom and dad might not even know what they're looking at or listening to. It's a completely new challenge because This type of technology wasn't around when we were kids. We don't have um, a background of knowing how our parents handled it with us to make decisions for our kids. So it's a whole new package of challenges. It also has some blessings with it, but they're unique for us. Well, today we're going to just talk about 10 areas of parenting. Of course, not exhaustive by any means, but 10 areas that we all struggle with that we... um, want to get through as parents. And we will have some emergency survival tips for each one. All right, first area, when should I see the doctor? Now, I'm sure all of you, like me, have had the situation, especially when the kids are little, where they're not feeling well. And you're holding them, and they have a runny nose, and they're cranky, and their cheeks are red, and maybe you have the thermometer in their mouth, and they're crying and fussy, and you think, okay. Uh, Is this an ear infection? Are they just tired? Are they teething? When should I actually see the doctor and That really is a worry as Parents we worry don't we it seems to come with the territory sometimes we start worrying even before the kids are born (laughs) It's just as parents. We worry not that that's right or good, but it's a fact So when the kids are little we have little kids worries, don't we? I know our oldest daughter Natalie was born two weeks early And her dad actually was across the country when that happened, but he made it back the same day. She had been born already, but he made it back the same day. But um, because she was two weeks early, she was scrawny. And so instantly, of course, I started to worry, is she eating enough? Is she growing enough? Is she getting big enough? You know, that was the first worry. And then the worries didn't stop. They just changed. You know, you worry when they go to school, did we teach them enough? Did they learn to read early enough? And then, of course, as the kids get older, the worries change. Now that I almost have a teenager, a couple more months and I have a teenager, I worry about a completely different package of things, but the worries are still there. There is a verse that is one of my very favorites, and it's Jeremiah 29:11. And I have a picture of my daughters. It's actually a photocopy of a picture, but I have this verse written on the back of it, and I have it tucked in my Bible. I know you're probably all familiar with it. It's Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So that was very much an encouragement to me, that verse, because... It reminds me that God loves my children even more than I love them. If that's, It's hard to even comprehend that, but he genuinely does. And he can see the future. He has a plan for them. And there's hope for them. You know, we, we worry about the little things. We worry about the big things. But God has it all under control. So first aid survival tip number one is that the best worry reducer is the word of God. And I know that you've experienced that too. It's so easy to get bogged down in all the challenges, especially for our kids. But when we step away from it and we spend time in his word and we reflect on his promises, it helps the worries to, if not go away, we can put them in perspective. We can see them in the big picture and we can trust him. John 14, 1 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me all right fever so we've all had kids with fevers but really what i'm talking about here is families and parents with fevers doesn't life seem to move quickly everyone is living at a feverish pace parents kids grandparents we are all just too busy and You know, we've always, parents have always been busy. Parents have always juggled a lot of things. But I think it's a little more challenging for us now because even though we have all kinds of time-saving devices and our lives are supposed to be so much easier, we're all overextended, Uh, both parents. You know, if we're not working in an office, we're working at home or we're homeschooling our kids. Moms and dads are busy and maybe a generation ago when moms and dads were both busy, Maybe we had grandparents to act as backup. That really doesn't exist now. And if it does, it's a wonderful blessing and it's sort of a unique circumstance. And I know you've met families, parents, that seem to be able to do everything for their kids, haven't you? Their kids are scholars, their kids are athletes, their kids are musicians. And sometimes when when we're faced with that, I know for me, I start to think, okay, what am I not exposing my kids to? What am I missing out on? Maybe they are meant to grow up and be, you know, world-class basketball player, and I'm denying them that opportunity. But really, can we do it all for our kids? I think that when we try, it just creates that feverish pace, and it's, it's counterproductive. And it makes us all unhappy. <laughs> and I think that we should sort of let ourselves off the hook a little bit that way, I really do. So we talk a lot about finding the balance as parents, finding perfect balance. Well, I've thought about this a lot, of course, as I've struggled to have balance in my life. And and a few years ago, um, it occurred to me that I can't have balance all the time in my life. And even just trying to have a perfectly balanced life was putting pressure on me. And the reality is, as you were preparing to come to ASI, If you were preparing a booth down in the exhibit hall, if you're even just trying to get your kids and your family organized and packed and out the door, your life wasn't balanced during that time. And we go through seasons where certain things absorb our time and our energy. And I think that's natural. And just to let it happen. And, you know, pick up dinner if you have to, just to keep yourself sane. I think the big picture with balance is just... You don't want it to be chronic, of course. If things are chronically out of balance, that's when you need to look. But I know giving myself permission to let myself get out of balance every once in a while really helped me, took the pressure off. So survival tip number two, just say no and don't accept any guilt. We get a lot of requests as, as parents, maybe even for really good things, for ministry, for helping at church, for doing good things that, you know, can't happen without us. We're the only person that can make it happen. But I don't believe that's true. I believe we can all help each other, but no one, no one person is responsible for doing any task, usually. And sometimes the person asking us, that burden has been placed on them and maybe they're the person that should be doing it. But saying no comes with a whole lot of guilt. But I think we need to give ourselves permission to say no and to let go. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't you just cling to that promise? We need that rest. We need, We need that assurance so often, don't we? Isolation. I've had a lot of experience with this one. Um, Even before we had children and Sean started traveling all the time for work, uh, we lived in a district that was in the far north of British Columbia. It's actually mile zero of the Alaska Highway. We could see the marker for mile zero. So it started there and went all the way up into Alaska. And his his district was huge. It started where we were and went all the way up to the Yukon border. And we were in a small town, and I was working at that time. even though I sort of interacted with a couple of people at my job, uh, it was hard for me to connect with people at church. It was, I rarely connected with anyone in my community because I was either at work or I was traveling all over with Sean. And he had three churches. So we were in a different church every third Sabbath minimum because we also had two companies. <laughs> so that's, that's when I started to understand isolation. And, and what I'm really talking about here, of course, for parents is loneliness. It's a big challenge. It's really a big challenge. And when you think about it, it's almost a contradiction because as parents, we're constantly surrounded by people. They're just little people. And still, the loneliness is very real. When we're, we're new parents, I'm sure you experienced it yourselves, it's a transition in your life that's unlike anything else. You know, we, we, we were married for six years almost to the date when our oldest was born. And I knew mentally that my life would be very different. I knew that being home with her, as I'd planned to do for at least a year, just would be different. And um, I think when she was about a month old, that reality hit me emotionally. You know, you can know it mentally, but when you experience it, it's so different. And I I found a way to get over that hurdle. You know, I met other parents. I think that's the salvation for everyone. Meet other parents. Force yourself out there and, and meet new people. But the loneliness, even when you're surrounded, it's, It seems to be unique for parents and probably moms more than dads, definitely. Dads get to socialize with other adults a lot more. (laughs) But technology. With our travels, with Sean being away a lot, we have used technology to its fullest. Anything we can use to communicate with him and make the distance feel smaller, we use. You know, we've been using iChat and Skyping with him forever and you know most places that you go now you can get an internet connection we love using FaceTime on the phone Uh, he even when he was in the Arctic was able to call us and we were able to talk to him so that technology it helps your kids too and we've used it this way connect with grandparents because we we live so far away from our grandparents but the kids get to see them and when you see a face with the voice that makes a huge difference whoops I went backwards sorry Um, The other thing that's made a big difference for the isolation and the loneliness, I've found, and I've learned through experience too, is the attitude of the parent at home. Uh, I've always maintained a positive attitude. Yes, I miss my husband. Yes, I don't like it when he misses the kids' concerts or events. But we've never talked negatively about that. And our daughters have never resented his being gone. They Again, they would like him to be there certain times, but they they don't resent it, they don't resent him. And since we've recently relocated to Maryland, you know, around the GC area, there are a lot of families where dad's gone or mom's gone. And I've met them and I've I've seen the very same thing. If the parent who's at home a lot is positive and does special things for the kids, um, the kids are fine, the kids are good. (laughs) So that's an encouragement to me. So our tip number three, reach out of your comfort zone. I know that was tough for me. Um, I love people, I love being with people, but it's really hard for me to take that first step. But what I had to remind myself of and what I wanna encourage you to remember is, we're all feeling the same way. We're all too busy. We're all by ourselves too much this generation. It's not, I think it was different a generation ago. And if, You don't make the first step the other person might want to make the first step but they're just feeling as overwhelmed and busy as you are and they will be thankful if you reach out and you make the first step so James 4 8 says draw near to God and he will draw near to you all right so let's talk about fractures and sprains well medically physically those are not fun fractures and sprains Just a few years ago, our youngest was roller skating, and she fell, and she went like that to land. And yeah, she broke the little bone right here, and so she got a nice cast for a few weeks. But you know, those are not fun. They're painful, but they're kind of easy as parents to deal with, because you know what to do. You take your child to the doctor, you get the x-ray, you get them splinted here, you get them casted, or you get them bandaged, and you move on. But what I'm talking about here are fractures and sprains in our relationships. The mistakes that we make as parents. And I know this is a really tough area to talk about in parenting because it cuts really close to the heart. I know it does for me. But none of us is perfect. We're really not. We're really not. And for some reason, we're okay with that in every other area of our life. You know, I'm okay with knowing that. I'm not, if I'm not the perfect person at my job, I make mistakes, I fix them, I move on. Um, I'm okay if I make something new and it's a complete flop and no one in my family wants to eat it. It was a learning experience. But when we talk about parenting, we don't want to admit our imperfections because we want to be perfect parents, and that's really hard for us. But we're never going to be perfect. And I think if we learn from our mistakes, that's how we grow from it. There's an interesting quote I want to share with you that I read several years ago, and it, uh, it comes to mind often. It's from Adventist Home, Chapter 26. And here's what she says. It's so humbling and so revealing. She says, When a child reveals the wrong traits which it has inherited from its parents, Shall they storm over this reproduction of their own defects, meaning the parents get upset about these defects in their children? No, no. Let parents keep a careful watch over themselves, guarding against all coarseness and roughness, lest these defects be seen once more in their children. Have you not had that happen? (laughs) It's so humbling. Uh, When Natalie was about two, one day she's playing with her dollies, and she's sweetly lining them all up, and I'm doing something else, and I can hear her. And then I hear her lean over and say, now you all be quiet. I'm busy. And I thought, oh, dear. I know exactly where she learned that from. And so when we see our own personal flaws reflected in our beautiful children, it's incredibly humbling. But I love how Ellen White addresses that for us because it's not a condemnation. She, and the way she describes it, it makes me realize that it happens to all of us. We're not the only ones it happens to, so we can get over that hurdle. And she says, just don't feel condemned by it, just grow from it. Let it just help you to open your eyes and move forward. <clears throat> and forgiveness. Um, a few generations ago, at least in my home, I don't know what you all experienced, but my parents didn't really say sorry if something went wrong or they did something wrong. It happened occasionally, and I think probably older generations it was more so. I think the, the thought was that it made you seem weaker and it weakened you as an authority figure, weakened you as a, as a parent somehow. But I want to embrace the idea of forgiveness. I know I have in within my family, and I apologize to my daughters all the time. I, I know I make mistakes. And I am very willing and open to ask them for their forgiveness. All right, survival tip number four, swallow your pride and apologize. I really don't believe it weakens you as a parent. I believe it just lets your kids see um, another side of you because they know you're not perfect. They live with you. (laughs) And so I think it just allows your kids to see that you're connected to God. You're letting the Holy Spirit speak to you and If nothing else, it probably makes you seem a stronger person. So 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows and knows all things. All right, the best medicine. Well, wow, we have amazing, you know, this time to live is amazing. We have anesthesia for surgery. We uh, always cringe at the thought of generations before us having to suffer amputations, etc., with no anesthesia. But we have antibiotics, we have painkillers, we have everything. But we all know what the best medicine is. It is laughter, of course and you know kids are hilarious they are they say the funniest things i know i've read some of yours nicole (laughs) on facebook the things your kids say it's a riot and yet somehow we're so serious all the time you know we're surrounded by these sweet innocent funny kids but parents end up being so much too serious so i just have to share too i could keep you all day with the funny things my kids say as i'm sure you could if you were up here but um it's wonderful to treasure those funny things. When our oldest was about two, she always liked looking at herself in the mirror. That hasn't really changed. But uh, we were working with someone who went to Brazil, and she came home with a beautiful dress for Natalie from Brazil, and she had had it altered and everything. So it was just fit her, and it came right to her ankles, this long cream dress. So Natalie put it on, and she's looking at herself like this in the mirror, you know. (laughs) And Sean said to her, Natalie, are you vain? And she said, I'm not vain. I'm gorgeous. So that has stuck. The girl will never hear the end of that one. (laughs) And just actually today, sitting with my two daughters at lunch, my youngest is now 10. And uh, her sister was telling us how a boy here at ASI asked her if he could have her number to text her. Another scary area. Um, <laughs> but she, I guess she said yes. And my 10-year-old said, well, Natalie, that's good because you can text him. That's better than talking to him. Because if he can't spell, you don't want anything to do with him. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently my daughter is going to marry an editor or a writer or something. But uh, So, you know, kids, they should make us laugh. They should make our lives light. But have you ever found yourself becoming a Martha? See, we're all mostly moms here. Um, it, it's so easy, isn't it? I've caught myself so many times. You just get in the mode of needing to get through A, B, and C because you know you still have through Z before you get to sit down or go to bed. And you just sort of hunker down and try to get from task to task and moment to moment. But uh, you, know, you know the story of Martha. You know that's not God's plan for us. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to enjoy our families something my dad does, a granddad, is he has a little notebook and a pen that he keeps right next to his chair. And every time one of his grandkids says something cute or funny, he writes it down. And I love that he does that, because I know he thoroughly enjoys going back again and reading it again and again. And I have kept track of a lot of the funny things my kids have said over the years, but I haven't been very consistent. But I encourage you, if you're not doing it already, Start that habit, too. Write write them down. You'll enjoy it over and over again because we can't remember them all. So our first aid survival tip number five. Stop, breathe, laugh, repeat. Sounds so easy, but it just isn't. (laughs) But it just isn't. But if we can can do that more, make a conscious effort to do that more, our task is going to be a lot lighter. Psalm 3321 says... For our hearts shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. All right, preventive medicine. I just love this picture. I thought it was adorable. (laughs) But uh, I know you've been in this scenario, as I have. Now, there are two scenes that seem to happen, parenting scenes. You're in a public place. You're in the grocery store. You're maybe at church, even. first scenario is, there's a kid who's completely out of control. Maybe it's a little kid having a temper tantrum or a teenager who's just mouthing off their parents. And you see the parent just cowering, maybe talking nice to them. And you see that child completely out of control. And the parent has no clue how to handle them. And I know for me, I just cringe. I just feel like saying, someone please control that child. It just, it's, it's hard. And I know you've experienced it too. But the other thing that's even harder is when you're in a public place and you hear, you usually hear it before you see it. You hear an adult just chastising a child unnecessarily and just coming down on them hard. And that's really hard because you can see in the eyes of the child, they just you can see the life almost being sucked out of them. And that's another time you just want to jump in and say, just back off, you know, parent, grandparent, whoever, take a time out. So, preventive medicine, we're talking about discipline. We can talk about the specifics, and, but that's not what we're doing here. Basically, it's a part of parenting, it's a reality, and it has to be. Um, now, we are not perfect, obviously, Sean and I, we would never argue that. But what we try to aim for is kind, but firm. You know, I think that's the balance. Kids obviously need firmness. They need consistency from the adults in their life. But they need that kindness. They need it couched in kindness and love. Now, I have to remind myself all the time that it's so much better now to discipline our kids than to have them learn these lessons when they're adults. You know, it's better to learn as a third grader, no names mentioned, that you can't steal the teacher's red pen because it's pretty and you like it than when you're 25 to learn that you can't steal the car because you go to jail. I mean, our kids, we really owe it to them to train them, to help them through these processes. And it's, you know, it would be so much easier just to to turn turn your back and let things slide. It's really easier, but we know. Our kids deserve the, the training and the discipline and the prevention from future problems. And fairness is something, of course, we have to keep in mind when we're disciplining our kids. Um, kids have a sensitivity to fairness and they're sometimes not right. You know, they may argue that's not fair and you know it's fair, but we need to, to be sensitive to, to their fairness barometers because they're very sensitive to that. All right, survival tip number six. The prescription for discipline, I believe, is a kind but firm response. And this quotation at the bottom here from Child Guidance, I believe, sort of supports that idea. At a very early age, children can comprehend what is plainly and simply told them and by kind and judicious management can be taught to obey. So we know they're capable of it. We know God wants to shape their futures. And it's just our job to to do it, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't, but it is. Okay, poison control. When we moved from Toronto to Simi Valley some years ago, our youngest was not quite two. And we were staying with some friends while we got settled there. And um, it was my job that particular day to make dinner for everyone. Everyone else was at the office working, and I was home with our two daughters. And I was making dinner downstairs in the kitchen, and my girls were playing. And I was listening to them, you know, out yeah. of one ear and doing what I needed to do. And then as I was working, suddenly I realized it was quiet. Never a good sign. We all know that. <laughs> and so I went following to see what they were doing in our, our She was a baby. I mean, she was 20 months old, had uh, found her way in the bathroom to a bottom drawer um, that had some of our stuff in it. We were the only ones using that bathroom. And in our haste in packing, I guess, one of the bottles had unscrewed, and there were loose Tylenol pills there. And I found her holding half a Tylenol 500 uh, in her hand, and then she had spit the other half out, and it was on her chest. But I didn't know how much she had ingested. I didn't know if this was her fifth she'd tried. So, of course, I called Sean. We quickly found the closest walk-in clinic, went there, and they did what they had to do. They did an EKG. They did blood work. Only after what felt like an eternity (laughs) to find out she had almost no Tylenol in her system. She had found that one pill, didn't like the taste, and spit it out. Praise God, thank God that that is true. But that was really, really scary. But there are poisons in our kids' life every day, and they are the influences, whoops, sorry, they are the influences that they are exposed to. And those spiritual influences, which can be poisons, they're real and they're very scary. I think they're just as scary as that Tylenol pill was, definitely. And, you know, it's not just TV now. When we, you know, TV's been with us, what, since the 50s? And I think if families could go back and see a family of the 50s sitting around a big TV, the families together in the living room watching maybe something like Leave It to Beaver, that would seem pretty wholesome. But, you know, now our kids are exposed to it constantly. Again, they have it in their hands. And if we are not proactive, we don't even necessarily know what they're looking at, what they're listening to. And if if we don't have TVs in our home, wonderful, that helps. But how many of us don't have computers nowadays? And kids are so smart. They know how to find everything online. And social media, too, is, a, is of course a big, big scary area for parents. Uh, I, I don't think social media is all bad, personally. I think that there's a reason they have an age limit on it. I don't personally feel that kids under 13 should be on Facebook or other social media sites. I I really believe that that those age limits are set for a reason, but once they get older, you know, I think we just need to have conversations with our kids. If they wanna be on Facebook, if they wanna be on Twitter, Natalie just told me about some new one called Kick or Kicks or something that I've never even heard of this week. we need to just talk with them about it, be in conversation with them. If they're going to be on one of these sites, then I think we need to be there with them. We need to be there friending them, watching what they're doing, interacting with them, and just talk to them. You know, again, this is so brand new for all of us. I have no clue how my mom would have helped me through my teenage years and social media because it just wasn't there. So we have no reference point. So we're all learning as we go on that one. Survival tip number seven, unplug the computer and declare it broken for a week. It's not liberating. When our kids were little, the first thing I loved to do, and I still do it now, is when they misbehave, the first thing I loved to pull was any media privileges. (laughs) Because I felt like it benefited them in two ways. They had a break from any kind of media, and to them, it was a punishment. To me, it it was helping them. So I, th- I think that's one way. Oh, I forgot to read the verse. I'm sorry. Um, I think that's, that's one way maybe we can do a little intervention, have a summer of no media, if that's possible, if you dare. So Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God wants joy and pleasure for our kids. He doesn't want to take away all these things that they think are good for them and that they enjoy. He just wants the pure and the right things for them, and we all know that. All right, inoculations. So no kid likes to get their shots, but medically, we know inoculations, what they do, they give us a little dose of something harmful, and we build up resistance to it. But what I'm really talking about here is an inoculation spiritually that builds up our kids' strength. And I'm talking here about family worship. Now, i know i'm speaking to the choir here but the role of family worship there's there's just nothing that compares to it and i think our kids are never too young we're they're never too young for us to start you know i remember praying with and reading to our daughters uh, folding their tiny little hands before they understood what was happening and when we start that young it really sets a pattern and a routine for us as families something that we fall naturally into when they're older So here's the challenge that I'm facing now that my oldest is almost a teen. Um, I want to give her her own spiritual experience and her own worship time as well. So not too long ago, um, I decided that she could have her nighttime prayers and her nighttime devotions on her own. I said, Heine, you're old enough. You know, if you don't need me to pray with you before bed, you can do that on your own if you like. And she said, oh, yeah, I want to do that on my own. And it was right after Christmas. She had a new devotional that started January. And um, that was good. She was excited. I was proud of her. But I neglected to sort of talk with her about that and to sort of follow up with her about that. And I found out some months later that she just wasn't doing it. And she's not a bad kid. I'm not trying to criticize her. She just wasn't. And um, it reminded me that even though she's older, I still have a duty to her. I owe her just to talk to her about these things. And after we talked about it, she said, oh, yeah, I, I want to do that. I mean to do that. I just, I just keep forgetting or I'm tired. So we talked about it. And now you know, now she's choosing to do it. So finding that balance is, is important and not always easy. So family worship traditions. I know you probably all have special traditions that are meaningful for your family to make that worship time just special for your kids. One thing we like to do is Friday nights. We have uh, for about five years, I think. um, We always start Friday night Sabbath the same way if we're at home. And what we do is we take our worship and our dinner to the coffee table in the family room. So we take... um, we i have a old lace tablecloth that we got as a wedding present it's old and has holes now but that's the one we always use and we set it out on the coffee table and then we have candles and we have challah bread which is the braided bread that you know is um traditional for jewish families and um we take our bibles and we eat and we have our worship down there you know our kids they just they come to expect it and when they miss it if we're away um they just miss it, it doesn't feel the same. So that, I hope that maybe one day they'll do that with that, their families and it'll be something special that they can carry on. So survival tip number eight, start a new family worship or Sabbath tradition. Sometimes the routines get stale too. And it's, it's fun to create a new routine, a new um, special memory and have the, having the kids give input if they're older, then it, they can sort of own it and claim it too. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Hypothermia. Again, I was telling you about the district we lived in way up north. And hypothermia, that was a seriously real danger up there. We had a church member um, who a few years before we arrived up there had been snowmobiling and his snowmobile broke down, and he was by himself. And this was before cell phones were really common in, in use. And uh, he couldn't get to help. And he froze a leg, and he ended up losing that leg. And he was very much at risk of hypothermia. He ended up being okay, just losing the leg. But that's a real danger. And if you, you see this picture here, um, any of you that have flown, you know what that picture represents. It represents the little speech that they give you. In the event of an emergency, your oxygen mask may appear. If you are traveling with someone else, please put on your own mask before assisting others. Now, I don't know about you parents, but when I hear that little speech, a little rebellious part of me says, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) If that mask appears, I'm putting it on my daughter and my other daughter and then me. (laughs) And that's the way it's going to be. But how does that relate to hypothermia? Well, spiritual hypothermia, because... We don't do it intentionally, but when we become parents, we start to put our kids' needs before our needs. And it's not like you have your first child and you make a conscious decision to do that. I think it happens gradually. You know, in the beginning, kids are just so needy. That's just the way it is. And maybe your, your devotional time, your prayer time, slides because you're just tired. You can barely keep your eyes open. You think, oh, eventually, eventually, eventually. And when we're not proactive about it, it is so easy to let that spiritual time just get filled with other things because there are always a million and one other things that could fill that time. And, you know, I've, I've checked myself so often. I really have because it feels you feel um, selfish almost when you take that time for yourself. But really taking that time to build your own spiritual connect, connection with God to make sure you're not spiritually frozen and dead. That's the best gift we can give our kids, really is. We become more patient. We become more tolerant and understanding. You know, never mind the eternal benefits of us being connected to God. And the other thing is, too, I think we set a great example for our children. If they come down in the morning and they see mom or dad sitting in the chair reading their Bible or praying and they might have to wait five or 10 minutes to get their breakfast, but they're going to remember that. They're going to grow up and they're going to remember seeing mom and dad doing that. And it's not selfish, but there are always so many t- excuses, so many other things. But I, I encourage you, if that's something that you're personally struggling with, like I have it, I keep hitting this thing by accident, I apologize. <laughs> um, just, just block that time. Just block it and just do it. Because... There are always a million excuses. There are always things that we could be doing. But we need to just do it. Simple as that. We all know how. We just have to do it. So first aid survival tip number nine. Take an hour alone with your Bible and a praying heart. Doesn't that seem luxurious? A whole hour by yourself just with your Bible and praying. I encourage you, just, just take it. Just take it. You might not get to take it every day. But even if you can only take it once a week, just take it. And just let God work through you during that time. Let him speak to your heart. Let him soften your heart. And take your concerns, your worries for your, for your families, for your kids during that time. And just give them to him. Isaiah forty thirty one. We all know this verse. It's a beautiful, encouraging verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. All right, and this is the last category I have, the 10th category, which is doctor referral. So if you've moved as much as we have, you know the value of a good doctor referral. Because every time you move, you have to find new physicians, and you have to find a pediatrician, and a family doctor, and an eye doctor, and yeah, now that they're older orthodontists and everything. (laughs) So a good doctor referral is worth so much, isn't it? You find someone you can trust and that a friend or family member has trusted. Well, I'd like to refer you to the great physician. We know he is the best doctor. But, you know, he's always available. He doesn't have a copay. You don't have to book six weeks in advance and drive to the next city. Um, he also never misses a diagnosis, ever. And he gives us the privilege of being parents. And being parents helps us to learn more about Him. I know you've experienced that too. When you, when you go through struggles with your kids, when you um, just feel the love with them and the joy with them, it opens up your heart and your understanding to what God is like, to what His character is, in a way that. I don't know, I, personally, I would be able to have seen that part of his character without being a parent. Because if me, as a flawed human, knowing my weaknesses, knowing my selfish tendencies, if I can love my children as much as I do, how much more can he love us? How much more does he love our children? So it gives us an understanding of what he's like, of his character, like nothing else. So the last survival tip, number 10, The best doctor has unconditional love. Visit him often. He's always there for us. He's just a prayer away, as they say. He's always there. He always wants to lift our burden. He he will always listen. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, I do have a handout which has the text that we went through and the different tips. So I really appreciate you being here. And let's just close with prayer before we run off to take care of our kids. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for coming and being with us today. And Father, the Sabbath is approaching in a few hours. And and as we're here together with a group of like-minded believers, Father, we ask that you will bless our Sabbath experience here. Help us to get to know you better, to have our children get to know you better, and just bless our time with you. And Father, I ask that you will be with each of the families that's represented here, be with the children, be with the parents and the grandparents. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI. Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org